Halloween socks and underwear is a great place to start. That's Rick, manager of Project Action at the Corvallis Daytime Drop-In Center. And from what I have seen of his work helping the homeless, a clean, dry pair of socks is indeed a great place to start. Hello everyone, I'm Bob Madar and I welcome you to Episode 5 of the third season, Helping the Homeless, of Local Folks Podcast. In this episode, we're going to listen to Rick as he describes how he came to be the manager of Project Action and what he has learned about himself and helping others in the process. Rick, who has a degree in chemistry from the University of Pittsburgh and worked as a chemist for an energy company, was homeless for a number of years. Here's Rick talking about how he became homeless and what his life as a homeless person was like. Yeah, I thought about this and I looked back over my life and it's happened about every seven years. But I got to the point where I said, I had enough of this. I need a change. Mm-hmm. So I left my job, decided I'm going to travel around America, see all of the national parks and monuments. Well, that was a pipe dream, but it got me started on making the necessary voyage of my life. I've known this for a long time, years before that in all my readings. Every part of a good novel, there's a voyage. Well, I haven't made a voyage in my life yet. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to leave all this behind and travel for a while. And that's what I did for a number of years, travel. And it was comfortable at first, but I became homeless in the process. I didn't know how to live homelessly, but I met others who did, and they showed me how. One of my best friends was an immigrant from Hungary who knew how to ride freight trains. He showed me how to do that. We crossed the country a couple of times. We called them tramp stamps. Let's go to a new city and get more tramp stamps there. And he showed me. So we were on a, that's very interesting. We were on a train one time, just looking out the door of the boxcar, and then he said, hey, look at all the tramps. This is where we get off. And so we jumped off the train, and he was right. You know, we got, it was time to get off that train and go into the new town. It was like Reno, Nevada or somewhere. We stopped and visited there, stayed for a while, got our food stamps in that city. So it was an adventure. No doubt. You know, yeah. I, I'd done a lot of things, you know, and before that I'd worked for a carnival for one season. I'd done farm work on many times, picking onions, strawberries, Arizona. It was on the Arizona-California border, right? Oh, down by San Cedro. Yuma, is Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. I lived with a Mexican family. For, you know, there was a house full of Mexicans. Most of them were people who picked the veggies. They had four crops of vegetables every year down there. Mm-hmm. Every three months they grow something new. We got our water out of an irrigation canal. And 
I just wish I would have had more time to hike around and explore that area. You know? mm -hmm. It's very interesting. Right? Lots, lots of things to see, but we were just in survival mode. Exactly. It wasn't all bad. No. There was a lot of good times, adventures, and no interesting doubt. people along the way. Yeah, you and see, that's it sounds like you saw a lot of really interesting places and things like that as well. Yeah. So you say that was what you were looking for. Doing it. Yeah. yeah, and that's what I needed in my life. That's what I, I didn't know that that's what I needed, but I wanted to fill my life with something new and exciting, and I did. I asked Rick how he came to be the manager of Project Action at the CDDC. Well, I was addicted to drugs and alcohol, and I was self-medicating myself. And when the medicine stopped working, I didn't know what to do. That's when I fell down, broke my shoulder, and I couldn't get up. I had asked a passerby with a cell phone to call me an ambulance. And that's when I realized, I've had enough of this, you know? I had a, a, a desire and a willingness to change. I ended up in the hospital, and it was at that time that I quit drinking. And I, I went through physical therapy for a while, and I ended up in a drug and alcohol treatment center for eight months. Here in Corvallis, or yes, mm -hmm. it was community outreach, and uh, I applied for uh, disability, medical disability. It's my second time around, mm -hmm. and it came through. And that was because of your injury to your shoulder? Yes. Mm -hmm. Among other things, mm -hmm. uh, I'm not sure that was the only reason. I had I had broken both shoulders oh. in a, over a period of years. And uh, I, would, I had been camping out here for 10 years here in Corvallis. Uh, mostly in the, in the surrounding woods. And uh, I had enough of that, and so I, I was able to get housing, and uh, my lifestyle improved dramatically, and I had a lot of spare time. Since uh, you know, my days had been taken up with you know picking up cans around town until I had enough to cover my immediate expenses. At that time, for me, it was just uh, beer and alcohol mm -hmm. and little other minimal expenses. So, uh, I had a lot of free time and a comfortable, safe place to live. And I didn't know what to do with myself. I took a few courses, started getting involved in community events, and one of them was a presentation by Alita and 
her co-worker, new co-worker, April, who had just started Project Action. They were looking for volunteers at the Sustainability Coalition's um, town hall meeting. Well, I, I volunteered because I uh, learned in my treatment that boredom was a danger <laughs> to me. And it was true. I didn't know what to do with my time. And I had heard that volunteers make the world go around. And I didn't have to work anymore. I took up photography. I had taken a few courses. One of them was uh, voluntary simplicity, learning a sense of place. Uh, and I, I wanted to become involved in the, the best place I knew how to live. I had moved to Corvallis because life was uh, great here. It was a great place to live for someone like me. I was looking for something meaningful to do. Mm -hmm. A lot of it was adopting a spiritual attitude, you know, basically all we're, you know, realizing that we're all in this together and we're here to help each other. That's what all these people are doing. And I became part of that system instead of being a giver, instead of being one of the takers. Mm -hmm. And that made all the difference. Now I can do something to help others, you know, recover too, recover their, their self-esteem or their sobriety. During my visits to the CDDC, I saw that Project Action provides all kinds of services to guests. From providing folks with clean, dry socks or a pair of shoes, to lending someone a screwdriver or other tool, or to helping them replace a lost ID. As I listened to Rick, I began to realize what an important step replacing an ID is to securing a job and housing. Uh, I help people get their IDs like I needed. I, I went without one for years because I, I didn't need one. You know, I, uh, I had one when I probably got my job working for a carnival. Oh, right. But I didn't need one to do farm work. You know, working as picking fruit mm -hmm. or vegetables in the farm. You know, they're, but to to move into my apartment, I needed to have an ID. I needed a bank account. I needed all those things that our people take for granted. It's oh, yeah. part of uh, life as it goes on in the in the world. And uh, that's what, that's really the, the first major thing you're going to get. Even if the job may be there, mm -hmm. but you can't work because you don't have an ID. So if a person came up to you and said, you know, I don't have an ID, I need help getting it, what would be the steps that you would do to help them get an ID? What, what kinds of things are involved? You need a birth certificate, 
and now you have to prove your ID, your identification to get the birth certificate. So it's really difficult. <laughs> That's a catch-22. The last, uh, the last few years, well, it, it, uh, it's ten years ago since this all started when uh, uh, the, the crackdown in 2001. The terrorists have made uh, proving your identification important for things that people used to take it for granted. Oh, yeah, well, I'll take your word for it. No, that's not true these days. You need uh, uh, a state-issued photo ID, or the equivalent of a driver's license or a military ID. Yeah, this is, I'm, I'm who I say I am, you know, and you so can hire me with no risks. <laughs> So now, if someone didn't have a birth certificate, so they said, "I want to get my ID," and the first thing happened. So, how does that work? What would we be the? What would you do to help that person? That thing? Well, I get the application. If if you were born in Washington, you can get one just by signing the application. We send a check in, and they mail it back to you in three or four weeks. Oregon, if you don't have an ID, they want to have three other documents that show that you are who you say you are, because identity identity theft is a major problem too. You know, I mean, that's part of the whole security risks. But uh, Oregon will accept. A voter's registration, a fishing license, and a, uh, uh, a food stamp card. Most of these people do have, do get uh, food stamp. They don't call it that anymore. It's SNAP. SNAP, right. Yeah. But I remember when it, 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 it used to be paper stamps that you rip out of it. Oh, me too. Well, I use them when I was, yeah, I use them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I help people get those things together. Tell them, well, go to the DHS. They'll give you a piece of paperwork. And go to the Social Security office. I can give you bus tickets. They'll give you a printout of your Social Security number. Then you take all these things to the DMV, and they'll, you know, and while you're there, they'll give you a paper ID card. Which is, is good until they mail you the real thing in a, in a week or two. So I went through this and I, I know how it works. I think Rick's years as a homeless person give him a unique perspective on how those of us who are not homeless might begin to reach out and help those who are. Decide personally, you're going to get to know somebody ask them on the street, walk up to a person on the street and say, you know, I was thinking, boy, I'd really like to help someone today. Is there anything you need? Mm -hmm. You know, a lot of people give money to people that are out with little cardboard signs. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, maybe they need 
just a little recognition, self-respect, and a chance to to have you know talk to someone as an equal or, or make a new friend. You know, those things are important. You know, uh, just boosting someone's self-esteem for a moment. Wow, that was a really nice talk I had with that guy. You know, it might change somebody's whole attitude and give them a, a positive attitude that sets them on a new course for the rest of the day. And, you know, uh, it's probably not safe just to invite people like anyone into your home, but there are ways of hiring people like that. We have the help program, you know, mm -hmm. putting someone to work and helping them, you know, like, it's, it's just, a lot of times it's just putting one foot in front of the other, achieving your goals, you know. A lot of these people don't have permanent jobs or uh, a permanent place to live. But you know, maybe uh, you know, working for uh, a few hours or a couple of days will enable them to get that next step. Mm -hmm. Putting people to work, and you know, people have gotten permanent jobs. Like we do. We we're just talking about someone else yesterday started this way in, in our agency you know, that, now they have a full-time job that's what we are trying to do you know getting people off the streets you know, uh, jobs and homes jobs and homes yeah and uh, I would think, you know, those, you know, it seems like that's an immense task. But many times, you, uh, just seeing, recognizing a need that can be met. If somebody needs medical attention, for example, band-aids or, you know, uh, uh, treatment for, you know, a, a minor accident. A little act of kindness goes a long way, mm -hmm. and just overcoming your fear. That, that's, that guy really looks strange. I don't even want to talk to him. But you know, realizing that yeah, maybe all he needs is a little help, and there's a person inside that would be grateful and and, and for for a little bit of assistance. You know. Mm -hmm. It may start a whole new friendship and change both lives, you know. It's happened to me. Some people I've, I've met just are, are still friends today. It, it started with an act of kindness to me. And I'll never forget those people. And who knows if I would have been where I am today without that single one event that made me stop and realize, wow, that was a really neat thing that person did just for me. It changed my whole way of thinking. These little acts of kindness go a long way. And that's what I try to do, try to do here on a daily basis, you know. You know, like, show people, I'm glad you're here. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> you know, whoever they are. I do, I do, I do. I really understand that. I learned a lot from my conversation with Rick, and I admire his humility, kindness, and commitment to helping others. I really agree with his observation that a single act of kindness can be the spark that helps someone decide to change their lives and begin the journey to a different way of living. I am very grateful to have had the opportunity to get to know this wise and thoughtful man. Thank you for listening, and I hope you'll return for Episode 6, airing on March 1st, when we'll meet Delmer, a guest of the CDDC who was homeless for many years and who is now employed and living in his own apartment.